Hello and welcome once again to Dave and Marlowe Blazers Edge podcast about your Portland Trailblazers who had a week. I mean, kind of. It's like, okay, uh, it feels like it's poker and they won a couple of really small pots and lost a big one. But at least they won a couple hands. Uh, I'm Dave Deckard here with Marlo Ferguson. And, uh, of course, we have the Blazers beating Orlando, beating Detroit, and losing to Boston this week. I mean, two and one, we'll take it, right? Yeah, I think you definitely take it. Um, and there weren't really many surprises this week. I think they beat the teams that we expected them to beat. Also, the ones that we kind of expected, too. So, uh, just kind of treading water right now, trying to hang in there and, and stand in that playing race. And that's the biggest thing. And Hopefully you can get an upset in here uh, eventually in the next couple of days or so. Yeah, I think that kind of describes it all. I mean, there were aspirations at the beginning to be in the upper half of the playoffs, right? And then after that hot start, it was like, okay, maybe the upper, upper half. And then it's like, well, you know, they're still going to stay in the playoffs. And then, well, they're still going to stay in the play-in. And now it's like, well, I hope they get a good run going so they can get into the play-in. Kind of describes the course of the season, eh? Yeah, it's been tough, but I think the one positive you can look at is if you look at the, the Western Conference standings at this point in time, uh, Portland's the number 12 seed, and they've got 35 losses, and the Clippers are the number five with 33. And and so, you know, if, if it breaks right, there's a chance they can avoid the playing altogether if they're able to string some wins together and, and, and see some of their, you know, kind of parts, you know, lose a little bit. Um, so there's some faith there, uh, and Damian Lillard said that uh, in a little interview earlier this earlier today, but it's tough. You know, you want to see them try to get some wins going, and they've got the sixth toughest schedule over the last, you know, 16 games. So time is now. Time is now to do it. So, you, you know, you, you got to survive this road trip and, and, and take care of business at home, too. So that's the big thing now. Yeah, I mean, that to me shows part of the folly of reading tea leaves a little bit. And we do it some. I'm not saying we don't. But, like, remember at the beginning of the year and – People are saying, well, the Blazers have had such a great record and they have such an easy schedule or hard schedule so far. And the rest of it is so much easier and whatever. And yeah, we were all talking about Christmas. I get it because it was so blatant at the start of this season. But in a sense, every time you have to add those qualifiers, it shows that you're not really sure. Right. Like you don't have to say the sun is going to rise. If it doesn't rise, you're really shocked. You don't have to say the sun is going to rise because, you know, it seems like the, the, the Earth's schedule is pretty good. This, you know, no. OK. All right. In, in a way, that should be a, an indicator that when you start looking at those things, first of all, have a sense of humility. And second of all, you have to actually play the games. Yeah, you do. And I think in a sense, they sort of overachieved at the start of the year. And uh, maybe we got a little bit too excited because I remember at that time, all everybody was saying was if we survive to December, you know, it gets tough after that, that first one, or it gets easier after that first one. Uh, we that lesson the hard way this past season. And I think one thing that we'll kind of look at, this team has 15 losses in which they've had a double-digit lead, and they're, they've lost nine games uh, being ahead in the fourth quarter. So I think when you look at the standings, you'll sort of look back on those kind of games and, and, and kind of regret it that you didn't take advantage of those. Um, but I don't think they're far off from being a, 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 a memorable team, a good team at that, but uh, it is very difficult right now to kind of get a gauge on what this team is. And that's troubling to say, you know, 60, 70 games into the season. So, Yeah, well, when you look at a team that's losing leads, you really look at two things. Number one, do they have depth? Number two, do they play defense? And the Blazers are kind of shaky in depth. And 
bad at defense. I mean, there's no other way to put it. And it's funny, that depth thing is hilarious because you can point to, and maybe this is a trailblazers culture thing. We want to see the positive in everybody. And so we kind of emphasize the things that players do well. And, and you end up with cumulatively, well, this guy's having a pretty good season. And everybody's having a pretty good season, and yet you have not much depth, right? But I think both can be true in that for who this guy is, he's playing really well. I mean, Drew Eubanks, classic example. Incredible. I mean, I can't believe, and we, we knew this last year. We talked about this last year. Drew is a fantastic guy to have on your team. Sign him up for 20 years. You won't be disappointed, right? But can Drew start? over a, a two-month span in the NBA without things being exposed? No. Uh, say, you know, same with Shaden Sharp. Same with, you know, Keon Johnson. Okay, you can say, these guys got some really good attributes, but that doesn't mean that they can actually step up and fill the role. I think you hit right on the nose. I think sometimes we look at it with, with, with rose-colored glasses and we're optimistic. Uh, but when that depth gets tested, you know what I'm saying? You got guys that should be the, the 10th or 11th best player on the team, and now all of a sudden they've got to be the 7th or 8th best. And so it's just it's tough to have those guys in those situations. And with Eubanks, uh, great, great backup big, but for him to be the, the starting center of a team, I don't think you can really expect too much out of that. Uh, as you mentioned, Keon Johnson. So uh, it's, it's, it's a weird situation to be in. And I think maybe we sort of, you know, uh, over – I'm sure what the word is. I think may, may, may have over – over, overlooked some different things, some different flaws these guys may have. So uh, I think depth's definitely an issue with this team. And, and you know, you want to see them get better at that. But they're about where I think, you know, we can, we can sort of expect them to be. Yeah, uh, Cam Reddish and Matisse Thybul were doing it with them right now. I mean, Matisse hit some threes in a game, but we're going, he'll be all right. Well, he might be all right <laughs> on that night. But on average, that's still an issue. Uh, same with Cam Reddish. I mean, Cam has some nice fast twitch stuff going on, right? Okay, so you look at him, you go, oh, which is exactly why he played in Atlanta and got drafted there, and why he played in New York. Okay, we're not seeing different than what they saw. What they saw is, on average, all of that didn't add up to the spot. The other thing that I want to say, it's interesting because you brought up some nice theory there. Um, the gradient isn't smooth between your 12th player on the team and the first player on the team. In other words, the percentages or the expectations between those spots aren't equal between 12th and 10th and between like 8th and 6th, okay? That most teams play 8 to 9 players real regularly and find some spot minutes from someone else. So if you start to crack that top 8, the demands are huge. And it's not like you can go from 10 even to 8 without a significant learning curve and expectation, uh, you know, portfolio in front of you that some of these guys just aren't ready to match yet. Yeah, that's a good point. And when the postseason starts, you know, a rotation shorten, you know, it's going to be tough if Portland's got to play a guy like Keon Johnson and, and Golden State's coming in there and they've got, you know, Jonathan Kaminga and guys like that off the bench. So it's going to be tough to match that. Um, and I thought about it to, to sort of use one of your, your dating references. Um, sometimes you don't see those flaws right away, you know, and, and it might look good at start at the start. And with Thibault, you know, you look at the three-point shooting. He started out so well. He just got benched because he couldn't hit a three against Orlando, and he had to bring in Nasir Little. So it takes a little bit of time to show itself. But, you know, once he does, it's 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 kind of tough to overcome. And, you know, we're seeing the results of that now. So just hoping that he can kind of pick it up and, and get back going. So 
And, and who's the classic poster boy for that? It's literally Josh Hart. Although stuff is going on. I still believe the Blazers. There are two names I regret this year. Let's let's talk about both of them. Uh, number one is Josh Hart. Averages 20 points a game. End of last season. You're going, this is all right. But when you actually put him in the lineup, all of a sudden his scoring is less than, I mean, it's like 40% of what it was. And he can't hit a three for some reason. Have you looked at what he's shooting from distance in New York? He's yeah, they're like nine. He's on fire like that. I don't know what happened. I can't believe it. Maybe it's because he played in college there, but I don't know what it is. Like, <laughs> Yeah, over 60% on threes in New York, and he's not taking fewer. Okay, so like this Josh Hart thing, I think that was, <clears throat> I want to say mismanaged a little bit, but but again, shows the phenomenon that you can't bank on what you see at first to go long term. But the other guy I want to talk about since you brought him up, why is Nasir Little still not playing? What the heck is going I, I Okay, I want to respect the coach. I want to respect that I don't see everything in the game. And that we're not present in practices or, or, or the team playing or anything like that. What the heck? I mean, this guy can shoot threes. He's an offensive dynamo when he gets rolling. He might miss some defensive assignments, but who's not? And he's got defensive potential. Why is Nasir Little not on the floor? It's a very, very puzzling question. I've been wondering the same thing. Like, back in, during the Sacramento game, everybody was so excited. And I'm like, he, he, he's been capable of this. He's, he did that at the beginning of the year. So it's it's tough. But um, I think that's exactly what Portland needs, a confident shooter that can stretch the floor, um, can attack closeouts, things like that. And, and like you said, the defensive the defensive issues are there. Sometimes he overcommits and, and can get caught. Uh, trying to close out too hard and things like that, but I think you've got to play him. I, I I think you can make case that he should actually be starting, you know. But maybe Chauncey Billups just likes him a little bit more on that second unit, knowing that there's such a, a a a volatile unit where they they struggle to score sometimes, and he's a, a capable guy in that regard. But um, it's tough. I'm not sure like what you can say about it, but I think he should definitely be getting more minutes on this team, maybe you know fifth or sixth. Um, and hopefully, hopefully he's just been a, a secret weapon for for Chauncey Billups to go later in the season. But at this point in time. The only thing I can think of is maybe they're trying to work him back 100% to injuries and whatnot, but it's hard to say, really hard to say. Well, Nasir's got the gamble in him, right? I mean, defensively, that was his hallmark. I mean, he that's why we got excited about him two years ago in the first place. He's like, this guy's making big defensive plays. Okay, it, the, the skill set wasn't all there yet, and the continuity wasn't all there yet, but you looked at him and go, this guy's got the guts to make it, he's got the vision to make those plays, and he's got the athleticism to actually do something when he, when he gets near an offensive player, which a lot of, I mean, God bless them, but even when the Blazers make the right defensive rotation, so many of them, it just doesn't matter, because, oh, I've got a different opposing uniform they might as well be uh i don't know if you ever played the dynasty warrior games in in uh video games but it's like it's like feudal japan or china or whatever it is sorry it's those two are not the same but uh anyway uh, you you're the protagonist and there are just a thousand opponents and you try to cut through their castle and so it's a total button masher and you just cut them all down uh, they they don't matter. They don't have names. They just have bars. That's the way the Blazers' defense is. Like, okay, it doesn't matter who's in front of you. It's just a dude with a defense bar that drains way too quick. And you can get up the shot over any of them. Nasir Little is one of the few Blazers who is not like that. And so you get excited about it. And you go, okay, this guy has potential. 
Now you need exactly that. He's not playing. I hear Coach Billups, like I said, say, eh, he's missing rotations. Okay, who isn't? You know, Shane yeah. Sharp's not? Anthony Simons is not? And I get that those are different kind of players. But, I mean, unless you put in Thibel, who's not going to miss your rotations. But he can't shoot either. And Little's shooting 41% from the arc and 47% from the field. What the heck? I mean, you know, even Josh Hart missed rotation. Jeremy Grant sometimes misses rotation. Not as much as Nasir, but anyone you bring off that bench is going to miss rotations. I don't know. That's well said. I 100% agree. Like, it, it, it's everybody's, nobody's immune to it at this point in time. And I think if you watch the Blazers games, I think sometimes their, their body language kind of speaks for itself, where you don't know who's going to have that fight on, on a specific night. And that's part of why I wish that we had kept Josh Hart. You know, you never had the question of how he was going to play. The energy he was going to bring, and I think Nasir Little is kind of similar in that way. Where he's and when he's on the court, you know he's on the court. He's going to make hustle plays and and, and make uh, big on all his opportunities and whatnot. So you want to see him out there as much as possible. And I kind of worry about you know his minutes going forward because from what we're hearing, you know the Blazers are getting healthier too. Where they've got Simons coming back, Nurkic coming back. Um, probably shouldn't be long before Justice Winslow gets back. So it's really going to become a, a weird situation. Maybe a good thing where you got different guys you can put into the lineup, but. Um, at the same time, you know, it's it's his his minutes have been so inconsistent that it's, it's sort of maddening around a lot of the fan base, and, and I think we're included in that. So. Well, and also, like, who's here? I mean, Justice Winslow, even when he comes back, you know, his contract expires, so you're going to resign him. I mean, if they can get him at the same level, I bet they would. That's fine, but it's not guaranteed he's going to be here. You're going to want him. Cam Reddish, same thing. Okay. Even Thibault. I mean, I, I think they're going to keep Thibault for sure. But, I mean, can would you sign Cam Reddish for like three years? I don't know. You know. I guess it depends on the cost. But Nasir Little's under contract, and he has a history with the team, and he's been here. And you know what? The other thing that jogged a memory when you said is rotations. Okay. It's not like the Blazers are missing one rotation. It's not like there's one guy missing the assignment. Like, literally, you can watch the first rotation fail, and then everybody goes, oh, and, and nothing. I mean, it all falls apart literally in an instant. I mean, rotations are not static uh, to one area of the floor. One guy's got to compensate. The next guy's got to compensate for that compensation, and so on and so on. The Blazers are so far from that that it feels like talking about it is almost disingenuous. And maybe Nas is that first one, that the domino that sets it going. But again, I can't identify him doing that much more than anybody else is. And you know what? The problem ultimately might be that you can't compensate for one missed rotation without becoming cream of wheat on defense. Yeah, this team is in trouble when they miss one rotation. I think that's going to be one of the big things that kind of uh, decides Chauncey Bellows' future, you know, over the next couple of weeks is how he, how he manages the, not the defensive rotations, but the substitution patterns and those rotations. But uh, finding a way to get little, you know, more minutes, just getting the guys that bring energy on the court. Um, how he toggles between going man-to-man deep, uh, and zone defense. And that's got to be tough, too, having to go back and forth between that, playing with guys you haven't played with, too. So I'm willing to give him a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. Um, but 100% agree. I think you got to get a little, little out there, more than he's been out there. Um, he's a, a force on the perimeter. He's not a guy that you can sag off, and that makes it easier for for Damian Lillard and, and, and guys like that to get into the paint. So, um, it's long term thinking. He should definitely be a part of the, the, the division 
and that, that starts with playing them more in these big games and showing that you trust them. So I think that's that's key. So two big names outside the Blazers, loosely affiliated, I guess, things that have happened since last we podcasted. First, Kevin Durant goes down with an ankle injury in warm-ups. That's got to hurt if you're the Suns. Can you believe? I mean, I guess we've had similar experiences before, so yeah, maybe. But, boy, you just trade for your Christmas present. It's going real well. You haven't lost a game. Everybody's integrating. It's perfect. And then he goes down. How how crushing is that? And how did you feel, like, when you heard that? I think, number one, it, it sucks as a Kevin Durant fan. You know, I was really looking forward to seeing how that that combination would work with him and Devin Booker and Chris Paul and those guys. So that's the his health is the number one, you know, when it comes to that. But at the same time, uh, my second thought was, you know, you got to get more people mopping that floor and making sure things are going well on that end. Uh, and it's tough for it to be like that, especially during the warm-up and when you're getting ready to play. So I think with Phoenix, it's going to really test their depth, you know, because they had to get rid of Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson and so many different pieces to acquire Kevin Durant. So now you've got... You got East Wayne Wright and, and guys like that that are going to have to come in and, and really up their level of play. So they were a championship contender, and I think that you know, when he gets back, they're going to continue to be that. But for the time being, I think it makes them more vulnerable in that play-in race too, for, you know, as, as it relates to the Blazers, you know, that they, they can they can slip up a little bit. So that'll be something to watch. Uh, but first and foremost, you know, you just, you just hope that Kevin Durant's healthy at the end of the day. Yeah. So the second point to that, cautionary tale – that the big trade for the veteran doesn't always work. And it's not that Phoenix shouldn't have done it. Obviously, they should have. Uh, there, there's no, it's 100%, nobody's arguing that you do not trade for Kevin Durant. At the same time, it's not always the magic answer at all times. Now, Durant is a decade older than the guy we're about to talk about next. But in the interim here, one of the hot conversations around Portland is whether they could go for Joel Embiid this summer. Now, let's leave aside the likelihood. Let's get to that at the end. Both of us are laughing, I know. Uh, so, Joel Embiid, uh, 33.3 points per game, 10.1 rebounds. I mean, he's a, he's a great shooter from the floor. Uh, I mean, first of all, the Blazers go for this if it's at all possible, right? I think 100%. Now, I don't know how it works out contractually, but I think when you get a disgruntled star like that, you want to try to pair him with another guy that he, he's going to be comfortable with, and, and him and Lillard are almost kind of two in the same in that, in that situation. So if I'm Portland, I'm, I'm putting all the chips in the middle to try to go get Joel Embiid. Like, I'm not sure how likely it is, but I, I if I'm the GM, I'm going to make that happen, trying to make that happen. Yeah, but to realize now that you've seen what's happened to Phoenix and Durant, right? That that could happen to Portland, too. I mean, and you just said it. Put You put all your players in, all your reserves and stuff. I mean, because this is going to take Anthony Simons, Shaden Sharp, and that's to start with, right? Uh, Joe, uh, Yusuf Nurkic will go, too, to make contracts work, I'm sure. But also, draft picks, uh, you know, into eternity. Because they're not taking back a single player who's even halfway up the ladder to Embiid. And I'm not saying scoring. I get the statistical measures. But again, this is not a smooth gradient. The distance between Joel Embiid and Anthony Simons is huge. Okay? So you're trading draft picks forever. You're mortgaging the entire future of your team for a generation to make this move. So here's the deal. 
No, you know how many times Joel Embiid has played seventy games in the NBA, like in a single season? Seventy. I had to get maybe once. It's it's, it's probably hard to see that. You're really close. It's zero. Oh my goodness. So <laughs> he 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 played uh, sixty. Oh wait, let's see. No, that's right. No, it's zero. He played sixty-eight uh, last season, and that's as close as he's ever gotten. He had a 64, 63, a couple of 51s, a 31. Of course, his first two seasons, he was out with a foot injury. Now, I'm not saying you don't make this deal. I'm saying there's a lot of celebration, and then there's a lot of finger-crossing, right? Because now you have two players, and I assume they'd keep Jeremy Grant, if at all possible. So you have Embiid, Grant, Lillard, and you're filling in literally with guys like Reddish and Little that you kind of don't want to play now. Those are now your starters. So uh, here's the question. Do you think that that trio is a viable championship uh, mix? Can, can the Blazers win a title with Embiid, Lillard, and let's assume Jeremy Grant stays? I think so. I think so. Um, kind of like what we talked about earlier, where the Blazers have kind of had guys that I think Jeremy Grant's another one of those guys that he's maybe better fitted to be the number three, the number two best player on your team. And we've seen that, you know, with Simon's out. So if you can get him beat in there, I think you definitely take a chance on that just because of Lillard's talked about it in the past where it's been difficult to get, try to sell free agents to come to Portland, but it being a small market. That becomes a lot easier if you get Joel Embiid and you say, hey, we can team up, we can team up me, you, and Jeremy Grant together and you can get guys like that. Um, and just being in a small market, I think you, you take a chance on that too because What's the, what's the other side of that? You know, you're going to sit in mediocrity and go get 30 and 40 win seasons. Yeah, year year, we've already seen how that works out. So I think when you're a small market team, you've got to take chances as they come. Um, and just Portland, they've kind of, they've, they've been average to, to below average, above average for so long that, you know, you got to take a chance to swing for a home run eventually. And I think that'd be the home run to go for with him being 28. Still a lot of years left in his prime. Um, and and it, it brings some excitement to the fan base too. So I, I'd, I'd be all in on that for sure. Is the defense good enough? Do you think? It definitely depends on who you who you brought in. Um, you no, know, we we've seen you know Reddit or was it Embiid and Thibel in Portland? I mean like Philadelphia. So I think you definitely in free agency you try to go get defenders and whatnot, but you'd be tight against the cap space with that. So it'd be tough, but you know it probably couldn't be any worse than what we're seeing now. So I think <laughs> I think you go for it. So that's the scenario in which you try to keep uh, Thibel, uh, Justice Winslow. Guys who are just so-so on offense, but are real defensive masters. And you just figure you're going to bowl your way through the opposition through one or the other of those positions, right? You don't have to have the five-man offense and the outlet three, because guess what? You can't stop Joel Embiid. And if you stop Joel Embiid, you're not going to be able to stop Damian Lillard, because you can't double-team them both, right? That's the you're about to see a big stylistic shift if this happens, right? Now let's let's get down to it. Again, the guy is almost leading the league in scoring this year, along with Dame, by the way. And he led it last year. He's routinely mentioned with Nikola Jokic as uh, you know, who is the best center in the NBA. And by the way, Jokic is on his second MVP, maybe heading to his third. Uh, so, I mean, this guy is literally right now an MVP level candidate, a scoring champion level player, and one of the top two 
unique players at the most unique position in the league. And I understand centers are not as valued as they used to be, but when they're like this talented, they are, because you literally cannot find them. The center that's not valuable is the Bill, uh, is the Bill Wennington, you know, the guy who you used to keep on your bench just to rebound and uh, play low post. And those, those have no value anymore, but Joel Embiid has lots and lots of value. Any chance the Blazers actually get him? Uh, like I said, I, have, I haven't done it. I have a question numbers to see how that would work out, but I think if there's any chance that it's possible, I think you absolutely you, you've got to go try. I just get excited thinking about the pick and roll possibilities, the drag screen possibilities with, with Lillard and, and the beat. Like, who do you guard in that situation? So that's that's exciting. And I think that with shooters being, you know, as as as, as popular as they, as they are now, you can go find two or three guys that can spread the floor with those guys and, and, and punish defenses if they try to double team. So um, a situation like that would be it'd be so fun to watch. <laughs> it's, it's just amazing to think about. I don't want to get excited about it yet because I've, I've been disappointed as a Blazers supporter for so long. But just thinking about that, it, it'd be a, a, a real championship conversation to be had, you know, here in the Pacific Northwest if that happens. So, yeah, I mean, I think I said when I talked about it, like you never say never, and I don't. We don't here. Like we don't. We don't uplift ourselves by making predictions and then only remind you of the predictions we got right, right? I mean, we, we do predict the week ahead, but that's kind of in fun, and who cares? It's not about us. It's about the team, right? So I've never been that guy. But aside from the never say never, I'll believe it when I see it possibility, it feels like there's no... I mean, it feels like if this is the plan, oh, boy, that's... um. <laughs> <laughs> that's an awfully lofty plan and he'd yeah, have it, to be really disgruntled and uh, I don't know. There's, there's a lot going on there. And then there's, let's see, there's also uh, Utah, there's Memphis, uh, Oklahoma city, I think who could all make either talent or draft pick offers. So, I mean, Portland may be the most attractive of those. Sure. But, eh, you know, it's, if this is the plan, uh, if someone brought me this plan, said this is what we're going to do this summer, I'd say, yeah, okay, we'll set this aside in a little glass case. But I want, I want to see plans B, C, and D now. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what you said, uh, like a couple of weeks ago about the trade deadline. Teams aren't going to just sit back and watch Portland make moves and and, and root them on. Like they're, they're going to be trying to do the same thing. So that's going to make it tough. Um, but I think in B, he definitely have to look at Portland. If you look at Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. One big issue with them when they play is that when they get on, when they sit on the bench, you know their teammates they can't hold their end of the bargain and they end up having to come in and, and saving them. And we've seen Embiid get eliminated in the postseason year after year for that same thing. So I think he kind of considered that and being able to play with with Damian Lillard and how they spell those minutes. Um, you know, it, it, I don't want to make a pitch right now. I don't want to get too excited about it, but just thinking about how it worked, you know, with the other teams competing and whatnot, you know, you got to factor that in too. So it. it It'd be tough because other teams have more resources than Portland has, you know, draft capital-wise, player-wise. So uh, it's, it's interesting, but hopefully it's a situation we, we get a chance to talk about this again. I'd love to talk about this this conversation again for sure. I think we will because Portland actually has more draft capital than you think now that they got that extra draft pick. And that situation may be resolved. But, I mean, let's, let's be real. I mean, Philly's going to want probably minimum two first round picks and two pick swaps and pick swaps means 
whoever gets the uh, higher draft pick that year, Philadelphia gets it. And they're going to use words like unprotected uh, when it comes to Embiid, right? And again, worth it the way he performs, but he's not 24, he's 28, right in his prime, that's fine. But you are now trading assets six years down the road when he'll be 34. And he's not the healthiest dude in the world. So you are you are putting this major purchase on a credit card if you're the Blazers. And that interest is going to come due. You have to, have to make sure you get the product and make good use of it right now. If they do this and they don't get a title out of it, it's a disaster. You know, they've at least got to get to the NBA Finals. If they did this and only got to the conference finals, this would be a bad move. It'd be catastrophic on all all results. You know, it's hard to think about, but I I, I just I I have faith that it'd work out. You know, if it did happen, but man, you got to try. The bar's high. Got to try. Well, and this is the thing too, and this is the thing I asked when I wrote. Okay, let's say this doesn't happen. The the ninety five percent chance that it doesn't happen comes true. Can we stop now? If your plan is literally Joel Embiid and you're going, we're going to go get him, derp, 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 right? Okay, you don't, you don't get him. There's a reason you have to get him because that's the player you need to turn this around. If you do not get Joel Embiid, can we stop pretending like two lesser players are going to turn this around then? Because you would not be talking about mortgaging your entire present and future for this guy if you did not need to. You know what? Because there are a lot of teams. I mean, I guess Phoenix would probably. It's Embiid. But, you know, Phoenix is not going, we got to get Joel Embiid or bust. They did do Kevin Durant, but now look where they are. They're okay. The, the upper echelon team, Denver is not doing this. Obviously, I have another center, I know. But Boston's not doing this either. Right. So if you were a great team, is my point, you wouldn't have to be talking like this. It's fine that you are. You should get this deal done. But if you don't get this deal done, let's not pretend like you're almost there. You needed Joel Embiid. So what do you do? All right. You take all that stuff that you would have traded for Joel Embiid that would have been equal and say, all right, we have to build slower. We have to build with this stuff. But we're going to tell the truth about what we're doing. And we're no longer going to say we're trying to win now because that didn't work out as well said and I, what's the alternative like are you going to try to go get one in the draft like they don't you're not going to find a Joel Embiid in, in the draft year after year like that and Portland's kind of shown with with Damian Lillard they're going to be too competitive to ever get a, a a top three pick you know unless he's resting for the season and if agency, to see you know who's your who's your most prized free agent acquisition since 2012 is it Carmelo Anthony like that's the best guy you've been able to bring here maybe Jeremy Grant like I think you've got to go all in on, on a superstar like that uh, just because it's so difficult to do it. So mm-hmm. I'm with you. I think there's, there's no, real, no real plan B. If you can get a superstar like that, you got to go do it. Plan B is you change course, right? Look, I mean, you gave it to try. You, you're like, you put the pedal to the metal trying to pass all those cards on the track. And you know what? With the pedal to the metal, you're still in 14th place in this race. All right, you know what? Okay, uh, we did it. I'm proud of us, but we need to go back and change the engine because this ain't going to do it, right? And if we keep running this car out here unchanged, 
we're going to keep ending up in 14th place. And we can soup it up a little bit, and we can hope for a lucky start or some weather or something like that to help us. But you know what? Everybody else on this track is doing the same thing. That's Any advantage that everybody else is hoping for is not an advantage. That's luck. All right? So, yeah, uh, we're going to – I think this – we say this every summer, but we keep putting it off. We're like debtors, like, oh, you know, I'll I'll pay it next month. I promise I'll pay it next month. Okay, the bill has come due on this plan, and this summer is it. And here's another thing. Sorry, I'm blabbering on, but I want to say this just once at least. The toxic positivity around the Trailblazers doesn't really help. Now, I'm not saying that there's a lot, there's not a lot of stuff to be positive about. There is, and we could talk about those. We do. We just talked about how we talk about our bench players that way. But you know what? This recycling every year of Alfaro Aminu or Trevor Ariza or whoever it is, that's going to be the piece that puts us over the top. And anybody who says any different is terrible. And you know what? Go Blazers. I believe in you. Okay. That's okay. You know, you can do that, but you can't bring that to the actual table of negotiations and serious plans. You got to say, this is what, this is how I feel about the team. Always going to root for them. End of story. Now, team, go do something good, but that something good cannot be connected to that cyclical toxic positivity. If the Blazers come out and get a mid-level forward out of this summer, we cannot say, wow, they did it. It's time to say, what the heck are they doing? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I've probably been one of those guys where I've been a little bit, you know, overly optimistic. But I think even those fans are going to kind of reach their point where they're, they're kind of fed up with it. You know, we've seen it so many different times and we've, we've thought that, you know, we, we had the team to, to go all the way or at least compete. Um, I, I think about the, the Derrick Jones Jr., Robert Covington, uh, Carmelo Anthony, that that group. Uh, right before that, you know, Afro Gaminu, Moharkless. We've seen it so many different times where they, they've come close and maybe they've been competitive, but at the end of the day, you've got to kind of decide, you know, do you want to be competitive or do you really want to go go further than that? And I think that right now we're just kind of, to borrow a phrase, kicking the can down the road and and, and, and putting it off, as you said. So, um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. The trade deadline, they made it. it. It provided a little bit of inspiration that they were thinking long term, but they got a little bit younger, but I don't know. I don't really see enough to kind of envision them uh really prioritizing that at this point in time it's kind of just kind of neutral not really positive not really negative but more neutral than anything from my perspective right well if you got younger you're not winning now right that's the whole point of it i mean unless you got younger with a young kobe bryant or something which you didn't so you can't literally you traded away josh hart who is the guy who is helping the knicks win now they're nine and one since he joined the team right so just there has to be some authenticity there. There has to be some consistency there. And by the way, I'm okay if they say truthfully, we need to start over. We need to rebuild this. We've got some great young talent. You can see the talent divide on our roster. Basically, we got one superstar on one end of it and everybody else who's young and exciting. We love that superstar. We hope to build around it. But you know what? It's going to take three years. And that's the reality of it. I'm good with that. And by the way, we're going to conserve our assets that allow us to grow young. I'm good with that, too. I actually think they've got a reasonably good start right now. But, oh boy, you know, you can't reconcile that with Dame. You can't reconcile it with his extension. You have a hard time reconciling it with the uh, contract negotiation that uh, Jeremy Grant is about to do if he makes $30 million a year. 
Like, you just got two stories. And the thing I used to describe this in the Neil Olshay era when he did this, it was with the Marcus Aldridge's free agency, actually, is that you've got a freeway, you've got an off-ramp, but you got that divider in between them. You can stay on the freeway, you could go on the off-ramp, but you best not drive into the divider. And that's exactly <laughs> what they're doing. Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I kind of wonder with the Western Conference standings, the way is with the way it's going this year. It's never been as middle heavy as it's been, you know. So like, there's a situation where Chelsea Phillips could go from a 27 win season last year to the to the fifth seed this year, and you think about that, like to bank on that luck every single year like that. I kind of worry about that as well because he said earlier, you know, that they weren't going to rebuild; they were just retooling. This roster looks like a rebuild with a superstar on it. So it's it's it's. I'm not really sure what the direction is. But if they get in that situation where they 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 get that fifth seed or sixth seed and they're thinking they built something and they really haven't, I kind of worry about that because I think this year has a chance to really be fool's gold for a lot of a lot of teams, uh, Portland in particular. So oh gosh, I don't know. How you... Go ahead. Yeah, Portland has the culture of overselling themselves too, and I think sometimes they believe their own press clippings. Uh, I don't know about this regime, but the last regime did. Uh, and you know what? You're right. Like. Saying we got the fifth seed is like saying we got the seventh pick in the lottery. Well, yeah, that's better than having the 20th pick. You got more choices, but it depends on the year and it depends on the player you get. It does, The number itself means nothing. The fifth seed this year doesn't mean anything. And you can tell it doesn't mean anything because 13 teams are all saying we could get that. All right, you're at Black Friday lined up with 13 other people trying to get that one TV. Hey, you know what? If the TV were that good, it wouldn't be on Black Friday sale. So, you know, I'm not, and again, God bless. I hope you get your TV. I have a couple that I got that way. But look, this isn't a hundred inch, you know, Samsung that cost $40,000. And you could say, I got that TV. You got a pretty nice TV for you. All right, that's fine. But you know what? This is also professional sports, and you're saying this is about excellence. And we got Damian Lillard, who is a generational superstar and the best best player to ever put on the uniform, maybe. And you you got him at Black Friday? Okay, that's not that that, that doesn't compute. You got to put that aside and either say we are going for the real prize or we are figuring out a way to do it differently. Agree with that one hundred percent. It reminds me of that old uh, that hardcore championship in WWE where we change hands. <laughs> Everybody's had it. It's not that. It's not that valuable. So I think the the worst case scenario is what if this team gets the fifth seed, losing the first round, and they fuck themselves into thinking, "Hey, we can do this next year and get a little bit better." And then it just continues. The wheel just continues to turn. So I'm scared of that being the scenario. I think obviously you want to you want to play in the postseason, but. That scenario just, it feels so poor and terrible. Like, we've seen that so many different times. I, I, I worry about that. I worry about that so much now. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, if you got the tag team belts in the attitude area with the Hardys and the Dudleys, you good. If you got the tag team belts when the smoking guns and the body Donnas were roaming the, the ring, or um, Kane and Murdoch, I mean, <laughs> the, these two things are not the same, right? So, yeah, that's exactly right. Sorry, all non-wrestling people, but we like it. Uh, all right. Damian Lillard continues to excel. Uh, it feels like increasingly, though, this is like the expectations of victories are starting to ebb a little bit. Now, this may, if Simons and Nurkic come back, that may change. But you know what? Again, they don't have heart anymore. They got a cobbled together rotation. It may not. 
at this point, I think I'm resigned to that. I'm 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 looking at this season like Dame score as many as you can. Let's all celebrate this, and the wins and losses are going to fall where they may. That's such a sad. That's such a sad outlook on it too, because I feel like the highlight of the season has been you know, his 71 point game, him breaking the Blazers record, and and the All Star weekend. Nothing really as far as the team goes, and it's not necessarily his fault because you can see he's trying to put the team on his back, but. It's just difficult. And Chauncey Billups has kind of said that, like, you know, that sometimes this team has a, has a, a situation, they, they get a reputation where they'll watch him go dribble the ball and play hero ball and hope that he makes something happen. And that's just not sustainable to getting wins. And, and the lack of a secondary star sometimes is, is so noticeable. When he goes on the bench, it's ugly basketball sometimes. Um, So that's, that's a troubling development. You know, obviously you want better for him, but I'm not sure what's going to happen this year. Hopefully when they get healthy, it's it's a little bit better. Hopefully we get something 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 similar to what we seen in November, but it's it's hard to watch at times when it's when it's just him playing hero ball like that. And I think it's generally too when you stand on one end, you're going to stand on the other end. Not entirely, but it's awful hard to play active defense and to rebound actively. And to their credit, I think the Blazers do rebound actively on the offensive class. In fact, that might be part of their problem. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but they're letting fast break points go like crazy now. Oh, but like it's I think it's somewhat hard to get an object in motion tends to stay in motion. An object at rest tends to stay at rest. And a lot of guys are standing around at rest when Dame has the ball right now. I, I can't think of a better plan than that, but it doesn't mean that it's not costing them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really troublesome. I remember in the Atlanta game, he had 12 points. The rest of the team had seven in the first quarter. Like Situations like that just continue to pop up. And now it's getting to a point where now he's – this past week he's been rebounded like twice, maybe two or three times like in the recent mm-hmm. last, like, last five or ten games. So just so much pressure on him at this point in time. Um, and he had his first zero assist game. I think since 2015, like December 2015. So just weird statistics all across the board. And it's just, you can't win that way. Um, and they, the teams are starting to figure it out. Defenses are playing them a lot tougher, uh, putting more resources on him and, and his teammates are just able to, to uh, figure out what to do. So and it's, 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 it's ugly basketball at times. <laughs> I think sometimes now, again, I'm not a player, cannot speak. So I'm, I'm a little bit out of pocket here, but I think, in a bird's eye view, systemically, there's some truth to this. One of the easier things in professional sports is to not want it, you know. And what I mean is you think it's there, you're going to get it, you're waiting in line for it, trying to grab it, whatever it is. But when it starts receding past a per- certain point, other stuff takes over. Not just what all of us have, end of the season, but also, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm a professional ball player. At the end of the day, I have a life that the entire world would envy. At the end of the day, I'm going to go home to my house. And at the end of the season, I'm going to go home to my resort, you know, (laughs) second house. And my family's going to be okay. And by the way, I do not begrudge anybody any of that. That is exactly what should happen. And I'm, I'm happy that players get paid. They should be for what they provide. Okay. But... It, from a human sense, I think it's easy at a certain point to go, oh, no, man, we're not going to, we're not, you know, Dame scoring is enough and we'll try again next year. That's, you got to avoid that gravity as a team. That's the one thing the Miami Heat have always done. You got to admire them. I think it's because Pat Riley's probably an ass. But, <laughs> like, you know, like they, they, they never for an instant have you ever felt any of that out of Miami? 
I think you feel it a bit out of Portland sometimes. Yeah, I, I get that vibe too. Like the body language sometimes is just not there. Sometimes guys look like they're just ready for the next night, next night to come, and we try again. Um, and that's that's I, I I said it before. That's part of the reason why I like I, I this begrudged the idea of getting rid of Josh Hart. You know, you never had to question whether he cared about it. He played sideline to sideline every single every single play. Um, and it just you want guys like that. If you can't go get tough guys and enforcers like you know Portland should probably go get. You know, you want guys that play with unlimited hustle and unlimited energy. And you, I don't think you never really have enough of those guys. And that's sort of what we've seen in November, the way they were playing earlier in the season. You felt like they took every game personally and they they played at such a high level. You don't really see it as much anymore. Now you got you got guys, isolation, kind of YMCA basketball at times. So it's 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 difficult. Um, and I think maybe that's a team building thing. Maybe it could be a coaching thing. You know, maybe Chauncey Billups isn't galvanizing their group as well as he maybe could. I think everything is on the table, but you know you can definitely see that where you know it's just complacency, uh, a little bit lax at times. So it's tough. I I think uh, I'm gonna get in trouble for this, but I think it took a while for Damian Lillard to get there. I think there were some years with he and C.J. McCollum where they were like, okay, we deserve respect. We've done a lot of great things. I remember that Chris Haynes interview over dinner, and they're like dissing people for disrespecting them or whatever. And I'm like, okay, yes, but what have you done? What have you done that should make the NBA take notice? And I get you, you score real well and stuff like that, but you've made it to one conference finals. I can name eight teams who have done that in probably more in the last decade. Okay. So great. You're top third somewhere and you made it only once. Uh, I, I'm not, I don't want to disrespect them or disrespect that, but this whole idea of we get respect just for existing or we get respect just for playing or just playing is enough. I don't think that's Dame's attitude now. By the way, I think that he has turned it up. He's found that whatever hard spot in him. But I think that the lack of veterans when he came up, and by the way, this was also true when LaMarcus Aldridge and Brandon Roy came up, the Blazers had liquidated all their veterans. That's never a problem that they had in the 80s. Clyde Drexler had players around him you know, who, who knew what it was to win who knew what it was to to go at it and go hard, right? And I'm not saying that they always did. They weren't perfect teams, but they knew. And you had that cultural uh, memory passed down. That was lost in the Jailblazers era. This new rookie, new whatever thing came up with Roy and Aldridge. You saw a little bit of him in them, although Brandon was a Brandon was cold for you know at least the way he scored right. So I think he overcame it. I'm not sure that Aldridge overcame that leap. Then Aldridge left, right? Now you got Lillard coming up in the same situation and McCollum, and they do pretty well, and that almost becomes a curse because you go pretty well is yay, it's everything, and then you realize there's a whole other level. I mean, you climb this hill, but there's a mountain in front of you, and yeah, good for you for climbing the hill, but that mountain dwarfs it, and it's like, oh no, we ain't even got halfway up, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's that's well said, and I can't remember at, uh, during that interview, C.J. McCollum, he, he, he continued to say, like, we won 40 games, we won 50 games, we're giving ourselves a chance. So I'm like, if that's your end goal, then that's that's you know what I'm saying that that's that's tough, kind of tough to live with, you know, because you're not gonna win a championship, you know, just giving yourself a chance like that. And at the time of that interview, they had only won one one playoff series, you know, so kind of expecting a lot of different you know recognition for something you hadn't done just yet, you know, with all due respect to them. So it was a great interview, um, but you know, you, I can see where you're coming from with that for sure. 
And just thinking about that complacency, you sort of seen it with that group too. I can remember four or five different seasons in which they started started the season off slow and just kind of expected to get going in the second half of the season. So um, that 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 edge that you have to have, like you talked about Miami, you know, every team doesn't have it. And uh, there were times where it felt like they didn't have it too. You know, that was a great, great regime, a lot of fun to watch. But, you know, there were times where it just, you know, it, it didn't feel like it was going to happen. You know, so it, I, I can see what you're saying with that for sure. Yeah, it's the old give ourselves a chance to win in the fourth quarter, right? And you go, okay, yeah, that's a good, that's a good approach. Yeah, you don't realize that's what you say when your team is only so-so, right? Or when your team is young and bad. That's not like the ultimate. Like you haven't done it when you fulfill that. You think, think the Celtics and the Heat are saying give it, give ourselves a chance to win in the fourth quarter? No, they're saying destroy them, right? Nobody's going to take this away from us. All right, well, they haven't quite made that leap yet, and. Uh, That'll be interesting to see if Dame comes uh, late and is able to pull his team. But it feels like he figured it out, and he's pulling a bunch of guys who are still like, I mean, he's Moses out there in front of people, and the, the, <laughs> his followers are still milling around going, this oasis looks pretty good. And he's like, no, come on. All right, speaking of Dame, debate going on. It hit Twitter again. We got mailbag questions about it. We talked about it. We talked about it before a little bit, but 71 changed things. Uh, when he scored that, immediately people said, some people said, case closed. That puts the bow on this present. He is the greatest Trailblazers player ever. Uh, do you feel like that performance did it? And do you feel like uh, he is, or he is inarguably at this point, the greatest player to ever put on the uniform? I think he's the greatest player on the uniform, but it wasn't that game in particular that did it for me. You know, it was a great game, don't get me wrong, uh, but 71 against Houston. Arguably the least worst defense. Um, it was it was it was great, but I I, I don't I don't I, for me me personally I think it was um, maybe the 2019 season in which I really started to consider it, and then the years after that that sort of built upon that crystallized it a little bit. So um, I think you can make that case. I think Clyde Drexler is kind of hard to argue with what he did as far as the individual aspect and the team aspect, making two NBA Finals, being an MVP finalist. Like people were literally comparing him to, to Michael Jordan at that time. So. That's a, a player you could say was a top three, top four player in the NBA, which is something that we may not be able to say for Lillard. So I think it's definitely a toss-up between those two. And then you got like your Bill Wallens and your Aldridge just right below them. But um, I'd say Lillard's number one. But I think if anybody were to say Dressler's still number one, I don't think you could really argue with them. I think it's it's kind of 50-50 on that. So kind of be objective. Yeah, we got a Mount Rushmore situation, right? Like you can't. It's it's Magic Bird. Uh, you You can make an argument for either of them. And there you go. Uh, Jordan LeBron, same thing. Uh, now, that Damian Lillard has gotten on that mountain is huge. I mean, it's Clyde freaking Drexler, okay? This guy defined the franchise. And then before that, Bill Walton created the franchise for generations to come. And now you're going, ah, Dame's probably better than Bill like the Blazers, and uh, yeah, right up there with Clyde and might be better than Clyde, too. Okay, uh, full stop. I mean, you're going like, well, this cookie is better than cheesecake, maybe. Like, well, give me that cookie! I mean, that's <laughs> literally, <laughs> that's that must be the best cookie that's ever cookied. So, yeah, I mean, this is huge. I don't think that, uh, I don't think it's definitive at this point. I don't think it's probably going to be, unless Dame wins the title. But, hey, greatness in front of us every night i i'm good with that yeah I, I agree with that i feel kind of weird you know being in my early 20s and, and and even having this debate because it's like 
I didn't get to see, get a chance to see Drexler like in his prime, you know, year after year like that. But um, they're about to, they played almost the same, same amount of seasons in Portland. Lillard said 11, and I think Drexler had 12. So 13. That's going to be those two head to head like that. But yeah. either way, I can argue either side of it. I think, you know, both guys have cases, and I respect both of those. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of like to just kind of just let people kind of argue that kind of thing. Yeah. Drexler would bull over you and Lillard shoots over you. That's the difference. And Lillard has obviously quickness and skill. Drexler's athleticism was unmeasurable. Oh my gosh. And the the greatest tribute I think to Drexler's team is something that we heard from opponents during those days. Uh, wow. Your team never loses. It's like, yep, no, that says it all. I mean, and that's the one thing that you cannot say about Dame that you could say about a healthy Walton and and Clyde is that, yeah, they didn't lose when they were at their peak. Uh, Dame, not so much. All right. So what do we got coming up? Now, this podcast is going to post a little late, so we've been evergreen in it. Don't worry. We'll catch you guys up next week. Uh, we've got Philadelphia tonight as we record New Orleans on Sunday both are finishing the road trip. And then before we record again, you've also got the New York Knicks at home. So the return of Josh Hart and the suddenly 90% winning percentage Knicks. What have you got? Uh, two will be in the in the can by the time people hear this, so don't mess up. Uh, <laughs> Philly on the road, New Orleans on the road, New York at home. Um, I'm going to go one and two. I think it's, it's just tough to kind of argue with with. Portland didn't really have a signature win over the last month or so, so it's kind of hard to envision them winning this game. And they're 0-6 against the East, the Eastern Conference's top five teams, you know, the Bucks, Celtics, Cavaliers, 76ers, Knicks. Um, so it's hard to envision them beating Philadelphia tonight. They had their lowest shooting shooting uh, shooting percentage of the season against them earlier this season, so I, I can't see it. I can't see them beating Philadelphia tonight, even if James Harden doesn't play. I think they get a little bit of payback against New Orleans and then they lose to the Knicks, so I'll go 1-2. and two. It's probably the same thing to say. All right. I'm going to say two and one just to be different. I'll say they get the Pelicans and the Knicks. Sixers is going to be hard. I mean, even with Nurkic back, I guess we haven't talked about that, but we've only had one game from our perspective, so let's leave that for next week. Look at what's coming up, though. Uh, Boston at home, Clippers at home, at the Jazz. Then you got Chicago and Oklahoma City, which should be okay. But then you got New Orleans, Sacramento twice, Minnesota, Memphis, San Antonio, Clippers, and Golden State. That's sounding like there's some winnable games, but that's sounding like a 500 record at best, not like winning 11 out of 16. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it's going to be really tough. Uh, like I said, they got the sixth toughest schedule, 16 games left. And what kind of concerns me is that this team is 13 and 22 against teams above 500. So even just going, just, even just going 500 over this next this next couple of weeks is going to be very very tough to do. Um, so I kind of worry about that. I think they're going to end up sneaking into that playing that playing spot, maybe like ninth or tenth seed. Uh, I think at best, but I don't know. It's, it's it's hard to kind of sell me on them all of a sudden, kind of figuring this thing out. And what kind of worries me is that late April stretch. Um, from April 2nd to April 8th, they played, was it, four or five different road games. So all against teams are against Minnesota, Memphis, and L.A. It's going to be tough to win those games. So I think that's going to be what decides the season, but it's, 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 not, it's not inspiring at all looking at that schedule. Yeah, I mean, and this is what people don't understand. I keep saying it, but it's like math. Uh, obviously, they're, they're only one loss out of the 10th 
seed in the play in that that's negotiable down to the last two games of the season, right? But the fact that the Blazers are in 13th and they're only two games out of fifth, correct. But that means by definition, eight teams are above them, right? And here's what you don't understand. As the games dwindle, that even if the losses are close, having all eight teams drop on the same night or in the same week while you win puts incredible pressure on you. It's not like one day. If it was one team, this is easy. The, the Clippers lose three and the Blazers win three and all of a sudden they're in fifth, right? But no, you have the Clippers and the Warriors and the Timberwolves and the Mavericks and the Lakers and the Pelicans and the Jazz and the Thunder all lose three while the Blazers win three. That's, that mathematically, statistically, that's a really big ask. And so there's a little bit of, of parallax or fool's gold going on there. Now, I'm, it can happen. I'm not saying it can't. But you've got to hope for that to happen over the course of weeks and weeks, not over the course of a week, because that I, it's just becomes impossible with the schedule, right? Uh, and, and the schedule that some of these teams play each other. They, they can't both lose. All right. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so what that really means is the pressure is on the Blazers not to just win in one week, but to win every week. That's the realistic thing. I mean, you've got to go 13 and three to even talk seriously about making up two games on everybody. Right now, obviously, they don't have to get to fifth. Maybe they get to seventh. If they go 13 and three, they'll probably make it to fifth, sixth, seventh. But if you start talking about we're going to go eight and five or whatever it is, or eight and eight, rather, uh, or even uh, 10 and six, you're you're not going to leap all those teams with that. I think what's concerning to me, too, is that, you know, with everybody being in contention, that means everybody's got something to play for. You know, you look at the end of the schedule, you, you say, oh, we got Golden State last game of the year. In previous years, they might be resting their starters. But right now, they want to lose their streak away from being out of the postseason. So everybody's going to have something to play for during this last couple of last few weeks. I think with the exception of San Antonio and that's really it. Like everybody else, Minnesota, Memphis, everybody's kind of fighting for something. So it's it's it's. You're going to get every team's best shot as if they're playing for their season. So, Polo's got to be ready for that. And uh, the margin for error is, is just extremely as, as low as it's been. So, yeah, the <laughs> margin for error, error is as low as it's been. And like we said at the beginning of this podcast, the Blazers can't even get two rotations right. So, I mean, this is this is where we are. But there's always hope when you have Lillard on your team, obviously, but also getting some players back. And, you know, your new players are getting more. Uh, assimilated so let's keep our fingers crossed and let's hope i mean it, it'd be all right if they got into the play-in and then didn't quite make it so they still got a lottery pick that would be okay so i mean maybe that's uh maybe that's a hope or who knows maybe they make it either way we will walk through this with you together for marlo mm -hmm. ferguson i am dave deckard we will see you again soon <laughs>